Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. I've got a topic to kick us off. Sure. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change things up a little bit here on you, if that's okay. No, please do. Like, not by by not recording an intro. Well, we could do an intro. Okay, let's do the intro, and then I'll change. Because this is this is a little bit different. We you know shake things up a little bit. Well, we can, but you can you know you can do the intro, and then I'll I'll jump in with like an end of show type thing. No, I think this is good because okay, last week right. we had a formal show again with a guest. That's with, true, uh, and we're recording Malena. another one next week. So we are bringing another one next week. So yeah. you know, why not mix it up? <clears throat> okay, so here we go. You, you, you know, I know. Audible is a sponsor, right? And if you want to help us out a little bit, you know, Frank's been saving up for. Uh, I was trying to think of a good magazine to come up with a Wired magazine subscription, and you can help him with that by going to thedatadrivenbook.com. And uh, signing up for a free 30-day trial of Audible, you get to download an audiobook. Frank and I love audiobooks. Uh, we're kind of hooked on them. And we think they're all... I'm fooling with my mic here, Frank. That's probably not the best time to be... Okay, there. I'm looking at the little needles jump. This I is really going to be a... Post. It's going to be a good show, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so here's why I bring up Audible. Um, because... Although I have not listened to these particular books on Audible, I have read them. I think I've read all that are out right now. And I have been watching the series on sci-fi. And actually, it's over on Amazon now. I've been binge watching, uh, Uh, catching up. And it is The Expanse. Love that show. I think it's a fantastic show. But I know you've read uh, at least some of the books. I've read the books. Just... Just from reading, Frank, I, I love good writing, and it is the best writing I've read. I, I put anything into there, and I've read some classics in the past decade. I'd say it's the best writing I've read in the past decade. It is easily the best written sci-fi I have read in a very long time. And, you know, and I've read some really good books. It's not anything against the other books. No. I would, you know, I would put some very popular sci-fi writers, you know, right up there with them. But it's just, it's very clever. It's engaging. The action writing is simply astounding. Right. This The action scenes. And, of course, um, sci-fi canceled it or dropped the contract or whatever. Amazon picked it up, said they're going to do it. So... Amazon has it now, and I believe it was last week. We're recording this on the 15th of February, 2019. I believe they began streaming the entire three seasons. Uh, I think it was at the beginning of February, maybe, or? February 8th, yeah. So I was hoping I would be able to binge watch it on the plane ride back from Seattle. Ah. Uh, But it was, you know, wasn't really in time, which is just as well as a red eye. I should have been sleeping, Ah. Um, (laughs) which I did anyway. I like it. Somebody somebody at work, uh, uh, she was actually on the, the data point I recorded out there. She was on the same flight back as me. And mm. she goes, how could you sleep through the turbulence? And I'm like, what turbulence? <laughs> that's how that's how conked out I was. Oh, wow. So, 
Yeah, I I woke up and we were over uh, West Virginia, and I was like, oh, my goodness! So, well, it must have been a great super secret conference. It was a great super secret conference. Um, <laughs> most of it, I was uh, I actually just didn't get a chance to record anything else because some of sure. it was kind of confidential sales strategies and things like that. Right. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, content uh, produced uh, by me. Uh, some of it will leak over to data driven. Some of it will end up on Frank's world. Some of it will end up on um, some of the live in-person events that's coming in the, to the town. I know uh, Azure data fast is coming back to Reston yep. on March 22nd. Uh, we actually have some things in the books now for uh, another AI fest. Nice. Uh, which I think is going to be sometime in June. Okay. Uh, don't want to give an exact date because I forget when it was. And I think we start, we booked the room, we got the room confirmation booked for fall data fest in Reston. Nice. Um, yeah. So there's definitely a full kind of um, uh, things. Tim McAlilly, who was the um, former ACE reporter for us uh -huh. um, at SQL Pass, uh, he's a, he's one of the big brains behind the event. And so he, he and I were talking about some strategies and stuff coming out of this conference and stuff like that. And, I think a lot of it is is that you know speaking about audiobooks is um the the book that really influences my it's influencing my thinking now on AI is probably AI Superpowers by Kai Fu mm. Lee. Uh love to get him on the show but he is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh I don't know if we could land him in the last time we tried to land a big whale uh it kind of <laughs> didn't go well. Well, it did not. We learned a lot. <laughs> but yes, indeed, we learned a lot. Yeah. One day we will tell that story. We will. We will share when there's been enough time. We will share that story. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day and I started laughing. <laughs> and my wife just looks at me like, why? I was like, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> she knows the full sorted story, but yeah. Yeah. Basically, somehow you and me got blocked on Twitter by this guy because some yeah. other guy. And it was just like, like, really? Was that really warranted? Of all the people, like. <laughs> There's people out there who should have blocked me on Twitter who have, <laughs> and this guy blocks me anyway. And you. And me. And, and you. you. me at one point, which is like. I think you were guilty by association. Oh, I got totally. you blocked. Totally. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we have a, we have kind of a, a moratorium on um, <laughs> reaching out to big whales for uh, at least the next six months till we can kind of. Um, do our root cause analysis for that cluster. Yes. Um, and I don't mean the server cluster, if you know no. what I mean. No, no. Um, <laughs> but we can laugh about it now. Right? We can, which is, which is but helpful. it was really, it was just bizarre for a while. That's the best word I could come up with for it. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the super secret conference that, you know, basically I, I am one of the anointed people at, at, at uh, Microsoft that, you know, I'll call it AI ambassador. And, and what my role is, is to help facilitate uh, through our sales organizations and for our customers, uh, kind of AI conversations. You know, right? you need us. We need a sound effect. I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, yeah. We need like the angel singing sound effect hmm. for the anointed ones. Let's see. How about this? That's too sad. That, yeah. We don't have like a choir. Oh. I don't. I don't. We have to find. I have the those. deep dive alarm because we were thinking about uh, this is this is very much an impromptu show because we had blocked off the time 
um, to record with uh, ultimately who was going to be our guest next week. Right. right. Um, but um, I just turned Annie is like, I'm free. You're free. It's the first time we're both free at the same time. It's been a, forever. That's one yeah. reason why there's <laughs> there's been a while since there's been a new show. But well, we've been doing the data points. We have been doing the data points, but you know these the big shows. The big um, shows but, are nice to have, and it was it was good to yeah. do the uh, the one last week with Milena because that it was. was. Very, I know it was very much kind of. It was a little bit off her normal beaten path, but mm-hmm. like the I I had followed her on Twitter. She actually was someone on Twitter who did not block us after inviting her to the show. <laughs> Um. Uh. But not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully, Hopefully not. never. But. I had bumped into her at a bunch of like DC Tech kind of K Street type stuff, right? Um, in DC, so I think I'd actually met her in person. So it wasn't just some random stranger on the internet. So right, right. That that probably helped. That, um, I'm sure. But um, the uh, it's an interesting space because if you read her LinkedIn, she wrote a really good. I meant to ask this uh, of her, but we ran out of time. She talks about how she runs into some. She runs into people all the time, and they ask her, you know, what do you do? And she explains, you know, geopolitical risk, and then. You know, inevitably, someone always says, well, I don't need to worry about geopolitical risk because I only sell to X. And if you read kind of her her LinkedIn article about it, it's like, yeah, you know what? I think everyone has some kind of touch on geopolitical risk. Gosh, yes. You know? Yep. And I don't know. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting space to be sure. Well, um, she has a that book was a great coming interview. out. Yeah, it was a fantastic show. And I can't wait to read her book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Hopefully, she'll have an audiobook too. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. So, Frank, if you want to sound the deep dive, we'll dive into something. Oh, okay. Why not? Okay. <laughs> this could be a potpourri of deep dives. Um, I actually helped a customer just now. Actually, literally. You had messaged me like, "Hey, are we recording?" I was Ooh. just wrapping up a call. I troubleshot. I did some troubleshooting on a Databricks configuration issue. Nice, which was fun. Also, spent a good part of today playing an R on SQL Server. You mentioned that, and that's. I would love to dive into that. The, the first thing I'd like to make our listeners aware of is one of our very first guests is a mutual friend, Kent Bradshaw. And Kent's mother pronounces R with two syllables. R. It's Ara, the way she says it. Yes, Ara. Isn't that a casino in Vegas? I think you may be right. No, that's Aria. (laughs) Aria. Close. But Kent's doing well. He said to be sure and tell you hello. Cool. For those of you who don't know, Kent and I did the data science um, uh, capstone project together. Yeah. And uh, that was a fun experience. Speaking of which, since the last time we, I think, spoke in person, I completed the AI engineer one. Did you finish everything in that? I did, yeah. Awesome. I did. So we need and we need an applause. I don't have an applause. How about this? Awesome. That'll do it. Charge, Frank. To... Thank you. I, uh, Frank and I have all of these back and forth things that we do, little sayings we we throw around to encourage each other, and we've both been really busy. We didn't have to, we hadn't had time to really chat and message each other, and I, I feel really bad about that. But one of them is going on. So uh, what is? And one of them is no breaks. That's right. So 
there's no brakes on the F train. That's the Frank train. <laughs> so, yes. It's just a lot easier. Uh, inertia is a very powerful force. And mm-hmm. once you're moving, it's a lot easier to keep moving. So you knocked out AI. Congratulations. Knocked out AI. And I started, they have a new program now for IoT. Oh, man. So I started that one too. So how many certifications are you up to? 36. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> In less than three years. So about two and a half years. So I'm yeah. ahead of the one one per month. Although I have to get no I have to get cracking on it because it's been uh, been like two months since I got a certification. So yeah, that's you are slacking, Frank. I am, slacking. but you have been working a lot, I know. And you had a bunch happen. December was a really challenging month, I know. Oh, you ain't you ain't you ain't just whistling Dixie there, man. <laughs> <laughs> we had so you know, to- thankfully we had I had a challenging January. You had a challenging December. Thankfully, we didn't have challenges at the same time, but. We yeah, time share. Of- I think it's good to do the time slicing time yeah. share. <laughs> for, for kids that don't know what that is, um, <laughs> just ask your local neighborhood COBOL programmer what time slicing is. <laughs> That's true. So R, SQL Server. R is now available in uh, SQL Server. I've been actually playing with it on SQL Azure, okay. um, which you have to go and you have to send an email and request it be turned on. But it's it works great. I mean, R is not my native language, right? Um, so I actually spent half the time struggling with R and like how to do kind of very simple simple for me in Python things in R mm. and uh, read in data from. Uh, so basically, what you do is it, it, it kind of works like a um, um, you basically execute an external script and you okay. pass the R script as a, a basically a string. And it executes it, and then uh, you tell it what you know what kind of the parameter names are going to be when the, for the input and the output. Okay. And basically, I mean, it 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 reads. You can send it data via a data frame. So, for instance, I did a select star from table name. And yes, I know select star is very awful for performance, but <laughs> it's not as bad as it used to be. Really? Okay. It's, yeah, I mean, um, it's not good, but it's not. So it's more for me. It's it's not so much. And I'm sorry, deviating here for just a second. It's not so much that it matters in performance, although it will if you're trying to squeeze every last every last cycle out of a query. Yes, because it has to go resolve what a star mean. To me, what bothers me about it as a developer more than a DBA because I'm not a DBA is it doesn't communicate intentionality. I want to see what you're trying to do. Right. So write the fields out. And if you if you use SSMS, Frank, you can type select, and then you can, you know, in a space, and you can drop down the table, and that there's that, that virtual folder named columns. If you drag that folder over and let it go beyond select, it'll put all of the columns, comma separated with brackets around them. Nice. A little, little bit of that autocomplete magic. Yep. And then you just do your from and you're good. You can type from and drag a table name over there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No I'm glad you charge. mentioned SMS. Yeah. Um, because you're the one that turned me on to Azure. Was it Azure Data Explorer? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is what I've been using to run the scripts in R. Like I didn't Very have cool. to. Yeah. It was a pretty, uh, it's definitely, um, it, it's definitely, I think, an Electron app. It's definitely written in the style of, um, VS Code. Uh-huh. Uh, it's nice and lightweight. Uh, I'm told it works on Mac and Linux. So I don't have any of those 
I'm told that too, but same same deal. I haven't tried I don't it. have either. Um, yeah. I do actually have a couple of Linux data science VMs, but what's interesting is is that when I when I'm kind of switched into data science mode, like mm-hmm. Linux feels very natural. When I'm in kind of regular mode, it's not. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just no, definitely no, it. a bit of context switching there. But um, but yeah, so I, I uh, so what you do is you go in, um, you spin up a service, a, 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 an instance of SQL Azure, mm-hmm. and um, or is it Azure SQL? I forget. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you spin up one of those instances, right? Right. Uh, and uh, once you enable the, it's in preview mode right now. It's probably going to go to GA probably later this year. Um, and uh, you go and you turn it on. You can pass R scripts to it, which was kind of weird. So you, you know, it, it's all in a T-SQL kind of shell. Huh. Uh, but you can um, you can uh, write the code. And basically, you know, what you get is uh, it, it's, it basically uses data frames because data frames are essentially the same thing as like a, a SQL result set. Right. More or less. I mean, I'm sure there's finer points that they're different, but they're close enough, close enough for government work, if you will. Well, um, one of the other platforms has uh, some object they call a data frame as well. I'm thinking Spark, something. Python. Python has data frames and okay. Spark too, but I'm thinking PySpark. But, but yeah. are they the same? From the binary point of view, I don't think they're the same. They're yeah. effectively the same functionally. That's what pandas is. Pandas is a is a Python library, right? That's meant to bring the R data frame style of doing things to Python. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it's the de facto standard of working with data in, in Python. Gotcha. So the conceptually it's the same, but I think under the covers and there might be some differences and whatnot. Okay. So R is R frame. is the interesting. I'm sorry. What? Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, so Go I was ahead. just going to say you have a data frame. You spin one of those up, and you're using Azure uh, Data Studio to do this, and then hand it. You you kind of put a wrapper around this, and then you pass it into Azure SQL R. That you have to write an email right now to have them to turn on for you. That's correct. And, and then, I'll put this in the show notes, like you know what to do and stuff like okay. that. And so it does some R-ish stuff, and then it sends you back some values. Right. And there's actually some interesting stuff. So I, I had a customer that was asking like, hey, we heard you can do this. Can you right. check it out? Uh, but what's actually interesting, I've been reading the documentation and you can actually add, you could do predictive modeling in it. So what you could do is you could um, you could uh, basically take a, a, a query result set and have that be all the um, the features and then have feed that into a predictive model in R. Hmm. And then have it spit out the prediction inside of a another uh, data frame or result set. So if I'm kind of abstracting here a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm trying to put, I'm trying to take this to the next level. It sounds like I create a data frame, I put it into some process, into some pipe. It comes, a data frame comes out. Could I then string a bunch of those together? What do you mean by string together? So can I use the output data frame as the input? to the next step in the process. Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, okay, okay, I like this. Yeah, I don't see why not. I'll send you the script I created because there's no confidential information. It's just, okay. You know, I made a table I, with a bunch of random numbers. If only there was some article 
that you know or, or a column that you had that you could write this <laughs> mm, if only if and you only. could write this up for i'm just picking on frank a little frank <laughs> does the artificially intelligent column at msdn magazine it's brilliant um i get to tech at it uh, often and every single time i learn new stuff so that's why i'm poking frank in the eye a little bit <laughs> that's just me being a you know me it's uh no it's uh that's actually a good point i hadn't thought of that um mm-hmm. I uh, I think I think that would be an interesting article in terms of um, how that would how that would play out. What's really funny is at the at the super secret conference, um, you know, we all had name badges and stuff. And some guy walks up to me, and he's like, "I know you. You're from you write MSDN. I love that article." So I'm like, "Whoa, cool. That's nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah." He he he's doing some interesting stuff with with chatbots. So I said, "Hey, you want to be in the show?" And I'm like, "He's like, yeah." So hopefully okay. we'll. Get him on the show. He didn't block me on Twitter yet. Didn't so block you. Was... I was going there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's going to be our new kind of like inside joke. Didn't block me on Twitter. We invited him to the show. Didn't block us on Twitter. But well, um, we could count that as a success from now. On. You know a, what? It's I'll a smart it. goal. <laughs> it's a smart not to be blocked on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so that that's pretty that that'll be an interesting article. But I think I think I think what's smart because you can you can add kind of that predictive capacity right inside of of SQL. Mm-hmm. Um I don't you know, and I think it's I'm hoping they'll add Python because when I was writing the script, half of the half of the challenge was getting my head back around T SQL again, because it's been a while okay. since I wrote T SQL. The other half was wrapping my head around R because it's Right, been a long time since I wrote R. <laughs> right. um, no, no, I I love R as equally as Python. I just some languages are more equal in my experience than others. Right, um, right. but uh, it it was an interesting uh, thing, and uh, so I just basically uh, what I did was I just took some random numbers and did some basic kind of you know come up with a mean and then added that to the result set. So it was it's interesting and. Uh, you know, you can write that to a table or a temp table. I, I thought it was, uh, I think it has some serious power, particularly if you have a lot of uh, analysts on staff who know R and they want to be able to operationalize their um, their predictive models more easily. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, too, this would give you, if you if you wrote about this, this would give you an opportunity to talk some about Azure Data Studio. And right. I, I think it's pretty cool. I've been playing around in it some recently and, I love the fact that it's extensible. Um, I've written some stuff I'd love to add to it, and I just got to figure out how. So, right. Um, but anyway, yeah, neat, uh, neat stuff. So, I mean, what else have you been up to? I know you've got this. You've been doing this R stuff, and you got to see some stuff at the Super Secret Conference. You can't talk about yet. <laughs> but you're, you're, I think you're all going to see it because basically what I did was I, cra- I crafted a plan and. Uh, created some really cool graphics to go with it, um, which you're you're going to see more and more of, I think, in the not too distant future. Awesome. Um, and uh, the other thing was Databricks. Databricks on Azure is really cool. Yep. Uh, it's amazing how fast uh, things can go. Yeah. Um, and um, had a chance to do some configuration troubleshooting uh, today, and. Um, 
with the help of a colleague, I managed to figure it out. So I was super excited about that. Super excited. Nice. Um, also at the super secret conference was, uh, I know we're bouncing all over the place, but um, That's okay. Graham Malcolm was there. And we learned a lot from him taking the, uh, the courses. I took a few, not as many as you, but some of the training over at edX. Graham Malcolm is a uh, one of the the big trainers at uh, Microsoft's uh, edX programs. I think he teaches at least a dozen of the thir- uh, thirty six classes I took. Wow! Um, and um, some of them, he, some programs he appears more in. I think the data engineering one, he's in almost every one. Yeah. Uh, and the data science one, he's like in half of them. Uh, and in the AI one, I think he's in one or two of the classes. Um, but so he was there, he taught us, he taught a class, he taught us, uh, how to do neural networks. And, um, there were some concepts of the follow-up article I have in MSDN magazine, which I have to write, finish like this weekend. (laughs) Uh Oh, (laughs) yeah. By the way, Andy, if, can you tech review that (laughs) early in the week? Um, but uh, I, I told him, I was like, I told him I was at a loss to explain certain things including the loss function. And I realized, Oh wait, that's a funny pun. That is, um, But, but the way he explained it was really clear and it kind of like clicked in my head. And, and the, that's that moment where the magic happens. Um, so I, I invited him to the show. I don't think he's blocked me on Twitter yet either. So hopefully we'll get him <laughs> on there. He's, he's pretty funny. He goes, uh, he says, I know I, it's weird when I don't talk at double speed. <laughs> Because most people, most people, when they watch the training, they'll they'll amp the speed up to one and a half or two times speed. That's funny. So, he he was an awesome presenter. In the feedback form, I'm like, we need him teaching like an entire track of stuff. Really? Because I had people in there that were just kind of puzzled by neural networks. They were like, and then it, they were asking me questions, and like after that, it was all being clear. So he's definitely, uh, definitely a gem in terms of that. Oh, he's a gifted communicator and and teacher. Yeah. Yeah, he he's he he's really good at it too. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely love to have him on the show. Dude needs his own show, to be honest. Really, really, I think so. <clears throat> you know, I but um, let's see. So December was kind of crazy because uh, both my kids have birthdays in December. December is also the holidays: Christmas, New Year's. I also had a car accident, which I think we discussed briefly on the show mm-hmm. or on a data point. Um, the total of my car and had to go car shopping, which is an awful experience. <laughs> um, but what's really cool is the car I did get has a sensor package. Ooh. And I think I was telling you about this. Yeah. So, you know, my dream is to have the self-driving car. Sure. Um, but I don't think we're quite there yet for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, but this car comes pretty close to it and it's not a fancy car. It's not a Tesla. It's not made in Germany. <laughs> uh, it's a Honda. It's a pretty you know, middle of the road car. Yeah. So to speak. Um, it's a CRV and it has the Honda sensing package, which is now last couple of years. I think it's been standard on Hondas. Yeah. Uh, where basically it has adaptive cruise control and it also has a lane keeping feature. Yeah, they call it lane LKAS, lane keeping assistant something. So com- does it just fuss at you, or does it correct? Does both? Really? Oh wow! Really? 
So if I turn it on, it will fuss at me and correct. Hmm. And when it corrects and I don't correct, I don't touch the wheel, it fusses at me even more. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, steering required. Hey, you awake? That sort of thing. Um, it's it it gets you about. I would say to me, one of the big stressors in driving, particularly, uh, is the stop and go traffic. Right, that's oh, very gotcha. stressful. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot of that. What was nice about this is that I can turn on adaptive cruise control in those types of situations. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is steer. Wow, Frank. And I, I had, I had a chance to test it out on the Beltway. Yeah. Uh, stuck between uh, basically Tyson's Corner and uh, Maryland. Yeah. And um, it was fantastic. That's a great test, uh, test place. It is. Um, yeah. All I had to do was steer. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is a great test place. <laughs> and I had to try. I tried it another time when we had a bit of snow, and it worked fine until the snow the snow actually blocked the sensor. Oh wow! So then I'm like, oh wait, I have to manually do this now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to drive. <laughs> oh, primitive. <laughs> but um, I I've really gotten accustomed to it, and it's. Um, it's 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 a nice feature, and what was really cool is unfortunately we had to go to a funeral in in uh, up in Pittsburgh, in in January, mm. um, but we were driving on the highway and we, a big storm was about to blow in. We were trying to get there before the storm. Yeah, and um, but the winds, the crosswinds on the Pennsylvania Turnpike were pretty fierce. Wow, and but the lane keeping assistance uh, tool did most of the fighting for me. Hmm. So I I kind of keep the wheel a, a loose grip grip on the wheel, and you could wow. feel the it was it was fighting the the wind for me. Interesting. And I would test it out by turning it off and seeing well what would happen. And it was like you know that kind of you have to fight to stay straight on the road. Yeah. But now and I turn it back on, it did all the fighting for me. So huh. I mean I would say it's not the complete um, you know futuristic style experience, but it takes a lot of the cognitive like load off of you. Yeah. You know, when I got home after having the car do most of the work and the and the bumper to bumper traffic, I was not nearly as stressed as I usually am after being in that situation. I think that's the big benefit from this, right? Is oh yeah, is that it? It just doesn't burn so many cycles in your nervous system. I, of course, the engineer in me is is yelling in the background, you know, going, yeah, but if. Uh, you know, and, and this is Nassim Nicholas Taleb uh, talking <laughs> about, you know, that if the safer we make things, the more automated we make them, the, the less we pay attention so that when we're needed, we're less ready. There is something to that generally. However, in this case, I, I feel that my role as a driver has changed to okay. less of an operator and more of an observer. Okay. I don't feel like I'm completely removed from the process. Right, right. But I do feel that my role has changed because I'm always looking at ways like, well, how can this be fooled? And I've already seen some situations where it was not intended to be used. Right. <laughs> uh, where it would get fooled. So one of the things it does with adaptive cruise control is you can set it to a, um, a speed and it'll follow and it tracks on to the car ahead of you and always keeps a set distance. Right. 
so one thing that happened was I used it and uh, when that car turned, it got out of the lock. And then all of a sudden the car thought it would be fine and dandy to blast ahead at 40 miles an hour. Oh, wow. Right. So, I mean, just tap on the brake and it stops, but it was kind of like, if I was not paying attention, yeah, it could have been a bad thing. So I can definitely see why there is something to that. You can't just say, well, you know, uh, you know, go ahead, computer, do it. It's not, it's not nearly like that advanced. Not Uh, yet. But yeah, I think it's the old 80-20 thing, right? I mean, 20% right. of the engineering gets you 80% there. <laughs> right. Last 20% costs 80% of the effort. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and and it's a Honda, so it's at least a third of what a Tesla would cost. Right, right. Um, so I, I think it's 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 definitely, for me, I mean, the way my accident happened, and I, I suppose I, I can't talk about it for, I guess, insurance reasons too specifically, was if someone jams on the brake, let's talk hypothetically now, if someone mm-hmm. jams on the brake ahead of you, right, right, you are reliant on the human nervous system, which has a finite speed. Whereas if a sensor can pick that up in a fraction of a second right, and act upon that and make that decision. And, and remember, human brains operate in terms of milliseconds-ish, mm-hmm. um, hundreds of milliseconds, whereas computer sensors can operate on you know, billions of cycles a second. Right. So you have a significant uh, time advantage there. In fact, I've already been in situations similar to when I did have the accident where I did have the adaptive cruise control on and I would think, oh, I should probably put my brake on and the car was already doing it. Oh, wow. The car beat me like by half a second. My goodness. And that that's a lot of time at certain speeds. You know, it's a lot of distance. It is. And so like, I'm convinced if I had something similar, I probably would never have had the accident in the first place. Oh man. Well, the best thing about, it's not, there's not much good to say about the accident, Frank, but the, and I'm really sorry you were in it. And I know why one of your children was with you. I'm just glad you were both safe. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't and, hurt. I don't believe the other parties were hurt. So I just, I'm thankful no. y'all are all okay. And it was just stuff. You know what I mean? You yeah. can get more stuff. Exactly. Exactly. I, the, that was the first time I had a, any kind of fender bender or whatever or worse with a, my child in the car. Yeah. And that was a very different experience. So I'm like, so when the paramedics came to me, they're like, are you okay? I'm like, don't want to say exactly what I said to hell with. <laughs> I was like, the hell with me. Check him. Right. And right. that, you know, when he said, he goes like, what happened? He goes, oh, well, we stopped the car. And then what happened? He goes, oh, I dropped my toy. Uh, And the paramedic was like, well, you hurt. He goes, yeah, I bit my tongue when it happened too. And he's like, see? (laughs) He sticks his tongue out at the paramedic. (laughs) And I was like, I heard that. I'm like, oh, thank God. You know? Yeah. But uh, I had actually hit my head on the door frame, Mm. which is why I got a bigger car this time. (laughs) (laughs) Because every car I test, I sat in. And like, I want to be two fists away from the door frame. <laughs> yeah, good thinking. Because um, the other one was uh, was an accord, so it was one fist. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just uh, trying to be anti-fragile, speaking of Nicholas right. uh, Nassim Tullum. Right, right. Which, that's an awesome book. Awesome audio book. Um, 
he is definitely, I think, one of the great thinkers of our time. I concur. Um, if you look for him on YouTube, there's a couple of interesting videos where he's on, on Bloomberg television talking about stuff. Um, he's definitely, definitely one of the greater thinkers of our time. We would love to have him on the show, but again, moratorium on catching the big fish. <laughs> right, right. And he has not blocked us. He is not. We haven't even approached him. I copied him on some things. I think that's actually uh, how I got Malena on the show is because she tweeted something and I'm like, I forget exactly what it was. I'm like, I was like, you know, that sounds like something he would say. Right. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, Frank, but I think I did. I mentioned him in something and this was years ago and I think he liked it on Twitter. Oh, cool. That's like my brush with, you know, with Mr. Taleb. Brush um, with fame. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. But that reminds know, me of the, the time I, I checked, I checked out of a hotel in Seattle right next to Eric Estrada. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of my first trips to the Microsoft uh, campus. It's before I even worked for them. Uh, I was at the, I think it was the Hyatt uh, in Bellevue. Mm. And I'm checking out and there's a guy standing next to me. I'm like, I've seen this guy's face before. I couldn't place him. <laughs> he looks familiar. It's Podge. It's Podge. <laughs> and I'm like, I look over and I'm, he sees me looking at me. He goes, oh, hello. And I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm thinking it was somebody from the conference I was just at, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And then like somebody comes up to him and was, oh, your, your van is, your car is ready, Mr. Estrada. Oh. And I'm like, okay. oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's awesome that he spoke to you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't have That's that. That's pretty like, cool. I'm too good for you or whatever thing. He, he yeah, seemed yeah. really cool. He was um, he was being flirtatious with the uh, with the lady behind the counter. At the no hotel, way. So. Way. <laughs> that was sarcasm, kitty. Uh, but yeah, it was just like he was doing like it was punch. Like it was just like, well, yeah. oh, cool. But um, yeah, so that was that was a pretty cool experience. That was my brush with fame. Nice. And greatness. But um. So, so the, I, it's not truly a self-driving car, but it is close enough for, for my needs right now. That's, that's interesting. And we know that's coming. I mean, yeah. and between, even between now and then, you know, between now and when they, they get there, there'll be, there'll be accidents. Yep. And some of them will be due to poor engineering or use cases that, you know, nobody saw or an engineer, an old engineering term called a combination of tolerances, uh, which goes with a combination of circumstances, kind of like, a, you know, stacking the use cases. Right. And um, all of that's going to happen. And it's going some of it's going to be very tragic, I believe. Um, but I would love for us to strive to keep that in perspective. If you want to see a shocking tally. Look at the number of people who die on the highways in the United States in a year or a month or a day. Right. It is a larger number than you imagine. It doesn't draw the media attention because, you know, it doesn't have this, this hype of AI and that sort of stuff behind it. Um, that, you know, that, that the very unfortunate and very sad and tragic events that have occurred where people have passed away because a self-driving car uh, hit uh, the big one, re not recently, but last year, there was a lady 
who was killed um, I, somewhere, I believe, in the Southwest. And that was just, that's horrible. When, well, when, I, you know, and that, that does get a lot of the press, but I would also kind of contrast that against the numbers of other people who were fatally injured in car accidents around the country. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that um, there's some interesting, um, um, I, I, I blogged them on Frank's World. A lot of interesting talks about autonomous vehicles. That's kind of my fascination of. It was always my fascination, but since since December, it's been even more of a of a fascination because it's kind of become you know personal. But I think that there's definitely a um, there's a moral here to. I'm not completely at the point where I have resigned my um, driving to the computer. I'm right. having the computer assist me. Right. And it's doing things that I don't, I'd rather not do, right. you know, bumper to bumper traffic. It's sure. doing a better job of keeping the distance between me and the car ahead of me in bumper to bumper traffic. It's doing a better and, job and, at it. And, you know, just to interject, is mm-hmm. there a way to track how many times the car stop, starts breaking before you do and how many accidents it prevents? I believe that's measurable. I would say if I had an OBD or I was yeah. called an onboard diagnostic uh, reader, I could probably sense that. Anecdotally, I would say that it, it it's always ahead of me in terms of braking. Right. The only times that I've braked when is when it was it, it it's not to be clear it's not programmed to be um it's not optimized for kind of bumper to bumper traffic although it does right. work well there but when you're in situations where the car ahead of you kind of disappears right and there's no other car ahead of you you can easily plow into an embankment if you're doing a turn. Gotcha. Right. So you kind of have to, I almost feel like I'm the captain of a ship now, right? As opposed to a driver, right? Captain of the ship will sit in the chair watching the driver Mm -hmm. and taking in all inputs, then making executive decisions. I feel kind of more like that now. Okay. uh, Rather than actually driving the car. And I think that bodes well for kind of the transportation industry. Uh, even if they do get, you know, autonomous trucks carrying cargo, right? There's probably going to be somebody there to handle the situations. Well, you know, you, it's funny you mentioned that. I read an article not long ago that predicted that that would be the first place that completely autonomous vehicles would show up would be in things like transporting food and goods. Um, and and they predicted, of course, it would start with kind of large vans instead of, you know, the 18 wheelers. Um, and I could see that. I could see that being a nice segue into to being able to do that. There's some solid economics behind that. Um, you know, just, just taking the driver out of the, out of the context from a just purely economic standpoint, you don't have to pay the driver. Uh, right. If you want to look at this from, say, a more green perspective, and I know there's lots of conversations around that these days, um, if you make those those trucks electric, and Tesla has some interest, uh, interesting proposals out there uh, for those types of vehicles, you know, you can really, you can really move the needle, I think, on, on some economics, and, and on some, uh, you know, and, and on some of the, um, the, the arguments around uh, green thinking. Right. Yes. No, I think, I think the, um, there's a video I saw recently and I'm pretty sure I blogged it. 
but it basically works out the math that you would need in order for people to feel comfortable with self-driving cars, you would need to have something of a trillion mile, trillion hours or trillion miles, one or the other mm. of combined driving with AI without an incident. And I think that's fair. Um, you and I, so here's the thing, Frank, you and I know enough about <clears throat> how technology works. We understand enough about the processes that go into engineering. And, right. and frankly, we can, we can do the math. We know statistics. And we will get into a driverless car. You and I will do that today. Yep. But, but we both know people who won't and who may never get into a driverless car. And it could very well be a generational thing. It might take a generation it, to change. It, it, one of our guests... Yeah. One of our guests, sorry, I cut you off, but one of no. our guests, I forget who it was. His name's escaping me right now, but he said, you know, at some point in the future, we'll look back and like, wait a minute, you would drive down the road in the middle of the night <laughs> in was the dark. Or Tab or Buck Woody. I think it was one of those two. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. uh, but, but it was just like, you know, yeah. if, you, well, if you put it that way, it does seem absurd. Right. Um, it's, I think it's all about perspective, but, I, you know, I would say, I would say if you're in the transportation industry, if you are a truck driver, it's it's time to start thinking about what would you do next in your career? Yeah. Just in case, just in case we're wrong. Because a month, a few months ago, I would have said that their their jobs are on a chopping block and they've got five years. Yeah. I would say there's still some truth to that, but I say that their, their role, based on my kind of personal experience and, and mm -hmm. playing around with this, is that their role may not go away, but it's going to radically change. Right, right. They are probably going to have uh, basically just be there to watch things while it's on the interstate, but actually have to take control in the city. Yeah. Or uh, in more congested areas. Yeah. I think that is that that's going to have some interesting benefits um, because, you know, a car on the interstate will, I mean, the truck on the interstate can drive overnight. You know, it's going to affect uh, truck stops for sure, I think. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Because they won't have to stop. I mean, if you just have a thing and you have you add, you change the cab so there's a bathroom and you know th this, their stopping time will be a lot less if they're electric. That's got to change kind of that from gas stations to you know will they yeah. will they ever have enough batteries to run across the country on a full charge? I don't know, yeah. but I mean it's it, it it's definitely if you're in the transportation industry, I don't think it's going to be quite so um, catastrophic, but it is going to be disruptive. Yeah. And these days, if you tell certain people who were recently laid off to learn how to code <laughs> on Twitter, you do get blocked. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, and I think it's also very incentive insensitive to just tell people who are uh, in a particular industry uh, like coal, like, well, you should just learn how to code. Yeah, it's not yeah. as simple as that. Um, but I think it's time to for people who I, I personally think it's a, um, a good opportunity for everyone every once in a while to reevaluate where they are in their life and what they want to do with their life. Oh, Frank, you and I have both been through this several times. This is true. In I fact, mean, this week, right. We were talking about being anti-fragile, yes. right. Um, yep. and, uh, AFAF, right. Anti-fragile as, as Frank, as Frank. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the idea is that so the whole notion of anti-fragile is a Nicholas uh, Nassim Taleb um, concept, 
where uh, as you're exposed to harmful stimuli, you get stronger, right? So the, right. the biology is filled with examples on this, right? You lift a 10 pound weight, next time you do it, you're a little stronger than you can do it. Um, and it's not, it's different than resilience because resilience means, um, he does a much better job explaining this, but yes. uh, resilience means you can work around adversity. Right. Uh, you can anti-fragile, tolerate you tolerate it, yeah. Right. Uh, fragile, we know you, adversity breaks you. Whereas anti-fragile means you get stronger because of adversity, right? That's right. kind of like a third route. And we're seeing, I mean, he's got great examples, but we see that a lot in uh, studies. I, I saw one that I think he mentioned as well, where they, they were doing studies about osteoporosis in uh, women as they age. And they found groups in, you know, in, in third world countries that, you know, there were ladies that have to walk four or five miles and they put the pitchers of water on their head. And, and that pressure of the water pushing down on their spine actually it, causes it, them yeah. to, to it, they are anti-fragile. The bones stay strong. They don't go through osteoporosis like people who don't do that. Right. On all these well-meaning places where they, they suddenly get water, right? Uh, which is, it's a good thing. Net, net. Good. But the unintended consequence is that now the, the older women are developing osteoporosis. Right. Because they didn't have that exposure. Another right. example is with kids, right? You know, yeah. we, the, the, the more you shelter your kids from germs by boiling everything and sanitizing everything, you don't give them the chance to build a strong immune system. Right. Uh, now there's, there's probably a happy medium there. You wouldn't want to shove them in a, an Ebola clinic. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. You also don't need to boil everything that, you know, touches their face. Right. That's, you know? Frank, before we get too far from this, um, I, I've got a, um, a good friend that I want to bring on the show. He's actually working on a uh, paper. I don't want to mischaracterize his, his work right now, but um, it, it when you mentioned the telling people who are coal miners that they need to start learning how to how to code. He's actually very much trying to solve that problem. And his focus is on Appalachia, which is, you know, we have people there. Um, and, you know, we, we all know people from from that area. And it is a uh, it is a shame, actually, what's happening there economically in a, in a country that is as prosperous as the United States. Um, and, and, and my friend Anders is actually working on, um, many efforts to try and identify ways that the stuff you and I talk about every time we talk, uh, that that can be applied and that folks in those areas can begin applying it. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, study what, what he's working on. And right, right. No, and it's a right way and a wrong way to approach that. Right, the oh, sure. the wrong way is the way these these journalists uh, would basically flippantly tell them it's time to learn our code. Right. Yet they're not real happy when it's kind of flipped on them. I think there is a certain just human decency there that mm -hmm. an irony, but I don't want to dwell too much on that. But I, I but I also think too is that um, we are in a time where disruption is now the norm, yeah. and uh, telling, getting, I think it's great that we encourage kids to get into STEM and, 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 and learn how to code, but who knows what 
is that going to be valuable 20 years from now? True. You know, I don't yeah. know. Probably. Well, the first thing we geeks are going to automate is the things we know best, which. Or don't want to do. Geekery. Right. <laughs> right. So. Well, also, too, geeks are expensive, generally speaking. and it, We are. The, the ROI on automating someone who's expensive is much more easily determined. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, no, I mean, that's an interesting point. We'd love to have him on the show. Hopefully he won't block us on Twitter, but you already know him. So, um, Anders will not block us. I can promise oh, well, you. Well, that's that. good. No, because I, I think that's an important thing because Appalachia or Appalachia, uh, depending on where you are, tomato, tomato, yeah. um, it, it is, is a case study in like how not uh, the whole Rust Belt in particular, but yes. um, is a case study in how not to transform. Yes. Right. Um, there's plenty of fingers to point and oh, sure. we're already almost at an hour and there's no point in starting that one now, <laughs> but um, you know, there, there's just, there's, there's always a way forward and yeah. there's always a, a good way forward and a bad way forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking to a customer today actually. And, um, you know, she is doing a good job of trying to fight the good fight and transform their business into a more data-driven business. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's getting a lot of resistance and stuff. And, and, and to which I said, well, you know what you're trying and you're making progress, right? right? This, you know, uh, here's a movie quote. Cause we haven't had a movie quote in a while. Right. We uh, was from the, uh, was it Rocky three, the one with Mr. T in it? <laughs> Where he goes, he goes, they asked him, like, well, what do you think? What's your prediction for the fight? And then Mr. T looks ominously in the camera and says, I predict pain. <laughs> <laughs> right. And right. and if you look at the pain of, 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 of not transforming your business, you know, oh, gosh, yes. Toys R Us, Sears, Kmart, right? There's a whole yeah. graveyard. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a lot more uh, on that list. Um, or the pain of transformation, right? Right. Transformation is not going to be a fun. You know, people think data science. I had another conversation with the, with another customer. You, you think data science is all kittens, unicorns, rainbows, and truckloads of Bitcoin. <laughs> it's not. Like sometimes it's just cleaning up really dirty data. Right. Sometimes it's just running a hundred experiments and seeing which ones work. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it's being playful with your data. I did a data point on that. Right. You did. Like, that was a great data point, Frank. Yeah. Thank you. Um, sometimes just being playful with it and you know what, taking up, taking out some variables and, and not really worrying what management's going to say, because they're only going to see the end result of the model. Right. Right. Uh, it's, it's about slicing and dicing, dicing the data in, in so many different ways Yep. Um, to find the insight. And yeah, there'll be automated tools to that. And, but the, I played around with some of the automated tools that there's still some, still some time need to be developed on that. But, um, <laughs> You know, I, the short of it is that uh, kind of getting back into Nicholas Nesem Taleb, like biological mm-hmm. systems aren't anti-fragile because they're wonderful and they want to be anti-fragile. They right. kind of had to evolve that way. Right. 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 The first amoeba that encountered something that didn't make it stronger never survived. That's true. <laughs> right. And if you repeat that process over billions of years and billion, trillions of cycles, if not more, of birth, life, death, birth, life, death. Ultimately, you get to a situation where 
it's not just the strong that survive, but the ones that get better with adversity are the ones that survive. Right. I don't know. That was, I'll get off my soapbox now. Uh, no, it's good stuff, right? <laughs> good stuff. Well, this was a bit of a potpourri episode. I think so. Maybe that's what we'll call it. I like it. Potpourri. Um, so some of the audiobooks that um, we mentioned was um, anything by Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Black Swan, Anti-Fragile. He has a new one out too. Yeah, Skin in the Game. Skin in the Game, that's it. Right, uh, he's working on another one. I follow him on Twitter because he hasn't blocked me yet. And <laughs> I see he, he posts snippets all the time. Um, and he does these uh, videos on YouTube, the MOOCs. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. most of them are not in English. So he speaks, I don't know, so many languages. He um, speaks like at least four. Yeah, and he uh, and like not fluent, not only fluent in the language, but fluent in the technical language. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So, which is like a whole nother thing. So anyway, he's uh, he's awesome. But yeah, skin in the game, which is, uh, you know, when he, I listened to the audio book and you can, you know, from his, from his writing on it, it's almost like he's trying to finish anti-fragile. It reminded me an awful lot of the relationship between the books by Grant Cardone, 10X and Be Obsessed or Be Average. Uh, also other, great audio books, by the both, way. Both great. And, but uh, I listened to Skin in the Game. I'm going back and listening to Anti-Fragile. I, there's nothing wrong with Anti-Fragile at all. It's a great book. He so, actually implied in Anti-Fragile that this is part of, he used a fancy Latin word as he would um, yeah. uh, about how it's like a an opera in several parts or something like that. He the basically intercept. said that each one of his books is basically a chapter in a much yes. larger mosaic he's trying to paint. And his the word that the word that he used was I'm gonna I'll probably butcher it, but it's in Cherta, I believe. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. And he's working on I think the next book, the one he's working on right now, actually has that word in the title. Um, that would I'm make sense. He said it would take him about six or seven books to do what he Which, intended. Gosh, and I he's, can't he's wait. almost at he's almost at six or seven now. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. Great thinker. I think we'll be looking back at him the way we look back at uh, today at Satra, mm-hmm. uh, Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, um, or you know Kant or Pascal. I think we'll be you know two three hundred years from now we'll be. Taleb will be one of the names. I agree. For sure. Um, And speaking of two or 300 years from now, that's when The Expanse takes place. That's right. And I haven't listened to the audiobooks, but I have read them and they are really good. Um, Same here. I've only, I read the first one, Leviathan Wakes, which is roughly maps to the first season of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And a short story about the background of one of the main characters. Uh, who is actually from Baltimore in the future. Yeah, that would be Amos. Amos. And um one of my favorite characters in that whole series. Amos. Oh, he's a he's he's awesome, man. I don't want to give any spoilers, but <laughs> I am that man. <laughs> I am that guy. You're not that guy. I'm, I'm that not. Guy. I'm not that guy. I don't know that I've mapped me into any of those characters uh, in there, but no, uh, no, that's actually the quote from a very pivotal scene in season three. Oh, yes. He tries to stop somebody from doing something. He goes, you're not that guy. 
And then like there was a moment of relief of tension and he goes and he says, No, I'm that guy. And then the tension gets back up. Very one of the best scenes in the series. Absolutely. Um, but it's it's pretty interesting because it talks about what Baltimore would be like two, three hundred years from now, or two hundred years from yeah. now, when basic income is universal basic income becomes a thing. Yes. Um it's not all kittens and rainbows. And I also that's kind of my general thoughts on UBI in general. It's not gonna it wouldn't be all kittens and rainbows. You know, I think they did a really I'll say it's a mature look at, Mm -hmm. you know, from an economic perspective and I think how it works itself out into the culture. And I've never read anything that, you know, that kind of put it in that perspective. I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, right? But in Star Trek's world, the absence of money and everybody just working for the common good was just kind of assumed. There was no downside. It was all, as you said, you know, all rainbows. And they really looked at it and said, no, you know, it's good this way. Nobody starves. But here's some of the side effects of that. Like you get treated differently if you show up with something other than credits, you know, UBI credits. If you show up with real money, they say you you get treated differently. And it just it in an effort to to reduce classism it actually creates a new lower class. Right, right. And it, they made it pretty clear in order to get into certain programs and stuff, you had to know somebody and it was very... Right, um, right. right. Uh, so it's fascinating. Agree or disagree with the politics and the economics of it. It's still an interesting read. It'll make you think. And the way they portray it, I think, is just, from an artistic standpoint, is just wonderful. Exactly. So and 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 getting back well. to Star Trek, I think Deep Space Nine was kind of the high watermark of Star Trek. Yep. Um, money starts creeping in when you start dealing with like th- life outside of a starship, yeah. <laughs> which is essentially a military thing. Right. Money starts creeping in. You see it with the Ferengi. You see that with um, particularly Quark. Right. Uh, in Deep Space Nine. Um what was really nice about Deep Space Nine was it, it dealt with a lot of moral ambiguities, mm-hmm. but in a way that's consistent with Star Trek kind of futuristic optimism. Well, you know, a lot of shows have kind of taken, uh, I'll say this, a lot of remakes or a lot of, you know, new editions of shows have taken a dark turn. Right. Um, and the first one that I really picked up on was the remake of Battlestar Galactica, which uh, we watched a couple of years ago. Again, we went through the entire series and also very well made and stuff. But you have, um, you know, you have shows like um, like Stargate. Um, I, pre- I think it was Stargate Universe. I forget. But it was yeah. they were trapped. And I, I referred to that as Stargate Galactica. Um, <laughs> the Enterprise series took, a you know, right. the dark turns. Uh, it, it became, you know, Star Galactica. Uh, Deep Space Nine was that way as well. And I think it's fair and good that they do that and explore those. Um, but, you know, it's the fascinating. I want to listen to the audiobook simply because um, the series is so well done. The books are so well written. I would probably get even more out of the audiobooks, uh, even though I've watched the series, uh, The Expanse, and read um, almost all of the books. I don't know if there's one out since the last one that I read, but. I'd read everything up until maybe a year ago. So good stuff. Definitely good stuff. And if you use Audible, thedatadrivenbook.com, 
Uh, we get a bit of a kickback, helps us run the show, helps yeah. us plan our bigger schemes and plans that we have, including webcasts. I think that's something Andy and I both want to do is more webcasts because yep. it would be helpful to explain, hey, this is how you run SQL. I mean, R and SQL Azure, you know, here's the right. script. Here's the setup. <laughs> here's the hipster version of uh, SQL Server Management Studio. Right. <laughs> um... <laughs> that's good. I like that. The hipster version. Anything written in Electron, yes, in my mind, is the hipster version of anything. Like, I hear that. I mean, Electron's a great technology, but I mean, it's it's the hipster version. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that, we'll let the nice British lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.